My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. All right. So hello, Dr. Vicki, and welcome to my podcast. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah. So can you just give the listeners a little background kind of about what you do and a little bit about your practice? Yes. um, It's called Root Cause Medical Clinics. We have one I'm talking to from California clinic, but we also have one in Florida and the next one's going to be in Austin, Texas. So we're growing, Uh, but we're multidisciplinary. So we have um, medical doctors, nurse practitioners, registered dietitians like yourself. And then we also have a physical medicine side of what we do, which is uh, chiropractic and physical therapy. So, but we're all integrated. So we're uh, working with patients together, not just sharing space. So um, maybe your listeners and certainly your patients have heard of functional medicine. Um, We call it root cause medicine just because we have those added additions to what we do from the physical medicine standpoint. And it's interesting, but today's topic, hiatal hernia, just so melds all of those things together. Mm. Um, so we've found it, it, it can take a village <laughs> to get it handled depending on the individual patient. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I, I love the name of your practice. I think that, Thank um, you. you know, if you go to a doctor's office, they're, they're not always looking at the root cause and it's great that you have multiple different professionals looking from all angles. And I think that's really how we find the root cause and get the person feeling better. And it's really the only way to go in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. We have patients that have come in solely because of the name, (laughs) you know, because that's been their lament to their doctor is, is, well, why is there something else I can do other than just take a drug and then take more drugs and then take a drug for that drug. And, you know, like, what could I really do to heal from within? Is that a possibility? And all too often in conventional medicine, patients are told, no, you know, it's just bad luck. And this is just you, or Mm -hmm. it's bad genetics and, you know, things like that, which, in the main, we find is not true. Uh, You definitely have to be willing to do some diet and lifestyle change. So we're very, very quick to discuss that, as I'm sure that's what you spend your life doing. But um, that's so integral to regaining good health. And as Americans, it's something we, you know, not very well indoctrinated necessarily, depending on how you were brought up, that that food is important and lifestyle is important. It's just the quick fix, you know, give me the quick fix. So that's, that's the polar opposite of what we do. Yeah. And I think that people are realizing too, is those quick fixes, which is usually maybe a medication um, prescription from a doctor for a symptom, you know, usually doesn't completely alleviate someone's issue and sometimes can actually make them feel worse. So I think this will be a really great discussion today. And I think a lot of people aren't even familiar with what a hiatal hernia is and which is ironic because it is so common in in what I see as well. And so I'd love if Mm -hmm. you could give an overview just, um, you know, quickly about what is a hiatal hernia and, you know, what are some of the symptoms we can, we can kind of talk through those together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just breaking down the words, uh, a hiatus is just a hole Mm -hmm. and a hernia is something 
coming up through a hole that shouldn't be there. <laughs> so what we're talking about is uh, the tube that connects your mouth to your stomach is called the esophagus. And when it ends, it then opens up into the stomach. But what keeps food going in the right direction from the mouth down into the stomach and then allows the stomach to churn things around and not reflux or go in the wrong direction is uh, the fact that the esophagus itself has some sphincters, some things that close. So it's so brilliant. You know, food's going down and then the sphincter closes going, okay, now you keep going down. <laughs> You're not going the other way. And then the diaphragm itself, which is a sheet of muscle that separates the heart-lung area and then the digestive organs below, that sheet that kind of goes from front to back, it all also has scissor-like um aspects to it, tendons that also close things down. So we have a lot of um, infrastructure that's designed to keep that food going from mouth down into stomach and then the stomach properly digested. So in the classic hiatal hernia, what you have is that the stomach has gone up through that opening in the diaphragm and it's, a, it's above the diaphragm. Mm. So that's the classic. Now, there's also sliding, which means it can, it can push up and it can come down and it can push up and it can come down. And so uh, symptoms, but a minor or sliding hiatal hernia, we have found uh, it does not have any less egregious symptoms than mm. um, a very severe one, actually. And then I and my, my upcoming book have coined a, a new <laughs> a new distinction, which we call subclinical hiatal hernia, mm. which means it, it hasn't protruded through the hole at all, but it's but it's pushed up so hard against that diaphragm that it still manifests this long list and we're we're coming in on 20 different symptoms that we've seen with our patients associated with this problem. So in, in a nutshell, that's it. There's a lot of variations. And where conventional medicine seems to not have really appreciated the full depth and breadth of this is that either patients are told you're fine because uh, sometimes somebody gets an endoscopy and they themselves later read the report and it says minor hiatal hernia and their doctor didn't even mention it because they just don't feel it's worth mentioning because it's mm -hmm. minor and they feel it can't cause any symptoms. And we find that not to be at all the case, or it is one of these sliding and they didn't catch it or subclinical where it's, you know, it's pushed up and they of course wouldn't see that. So there's a lot of reasons that it gets missed. And then people are sent on a wild goose chase of, you know, especially if they have heart palpitations or shortness of breath they're seeing the cardiologist and the pulmonologist. And then if they have panic attacks, we can get into all this, you know, then they're seeing yeah. the psychiatrist and they're seeing a lot of different specialists for something that's literally a digestive problem. So, yeah, I, I yeah. think that that is, that's going to be really helpful for the listeners is um, I think overall, just in general, taking away the idea that 
if you are just looking at an isolated symptom and, and going to a specialist for that, sometimes we're missing a, you know, the big picture or not even the big picture. We're missing something that could be there that's impacting all systems of the body. So what are some of the main symptoms that you see with patients who come in who have a hiatal hernia and either know it or don't know it? Right. I mean, the, the classic one, which you would expect if the stomach was was above or sort of in spasm is they have acid reflux, GERD, heartburn. Mm -hmm. So the stomach acid is is going up that poor little esophagus and it's feeling irritated and and they have symptoms associated with that. Sometimes if it's a, it's it can be a little bit of a more of a trickle up the esophagus and then they can get a hoarse voice. They feel like mm -hmm. they're they're losing their voice or they're just irritated. They feel like you know, they swallowed glass or they swallowed, you know, their sandpaper, you know, that kind of thing, because it's, it's a slow trickle instead of burn, you know, so mm -hmm. it can have its subtleties as well. And the subtle ones tend to get, you know, missed. There's also the pressure feeling like I can't eat very much before I'm really full. So they have um, distension or just abdominal discomfort or pressure, mm -hmm. um, uh, shortness of breath. So then you get into the fact that this diaphragm, they call it the diaphragmatic excursion, is how much it's able to move. And we actually test that. Our, our doctor of physical therapy uh, and our doctor of chiropractic will test that excursion of when you take a deep belly breath, you know, not this, you know, where people take shallow breaths and it's all from the shoulders, but just a deep belly breath, how much that your um abdominal area expands versus exhale. And sometimes there's not a lot of motion in there. And, and there's a reason for that. So if, if that excursion or that free motion of the diaphragm is compromised, because that stomach is pushing up against it, that's where you get into shortness of breath, um, anxiety, uh, full-blown panic attacks, mm. heart palpitations, a feeling of doom, you know, depression. And it all has to do with the fact that, you know, the way I explained it to patients is that we never stop breathing. <laughs> you, know, you can sleep, you can eat, you can, I mean, but that's, that's not an option, right? Stopping breathing is not an option. So when that diaphragm is not moving as freely as it's designed to, we have these alert mechanisms in the body that says, okay, wake up, do something. Mm -hmm. This is, you're not getting enough, you know, you're breathing, but it's not adequate. And that's where the heart starts pumping. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so you get that shortness of breath and the anxiety comes from stress hormones because you get into this sympathetic nervous system fight or flight of again I don't know what's wrong but do something <laughs> I mean like red alert red alert you know and when that happens in the middle of the night because also what happens when you're lying horizontally in bed gravity is not helping pull things down so now we already had it elevated and then we get horizontal so somebody wakes up in the middle of the night just <gasps> you know, mm -hmm. gasping for air, this sense of doom, have no idea what's going on, you know, sitting up in bed, their heart is racing off to the ER uh, to be told it's just a panic attack. And they'll rule out a heart attack, of course, because um, sometimes you can get pain in the arm as well or tingling depending on, you know, what's happening. But um, as soon as they rule out the, the heart attack or any heart involvement, then the patient is told you're just having a panic attack 
and here's your antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. And I have a lot of patients that get really stuck on that roller coaster of, of medications thinking now I have some mental problem when again, it, it's very physiologic and, and digestive and, and it's in the main core or root of it. Mm, and not to mention too, the side effects that come along with the medications like the antidepressants, yes. especially the sure. um, tricyclic antidepressants come with constipation, which can then further worsen the symptoms or, and, and, you know, and that's a symptom that creates um, <laughs> the the hiatal or hernia because you've had a lot of people have had constipation their whole life and that increased what they call it intra-abdominal pressure mm-hmm. has pushed things up so yeah you get into a really horrible catch-22 and I have patients that are just homebound and their whole life has gotten ruined by this problem and um, you know they've they've been given no hope no answers other mm-hmm. than well, you know, now you're, you have this psychological or psychiatric problem. So Mm -hmm. it's very different. And that's, what's so interesting is that it can manifest simply from the reflux to, um, as I said, heart palpitations, panic attacks, anxiety, all of this. And Mm -hmm. it can just, and then the patient never knows when it's going to hit, you know, Mm -hmm. and then the anxiety of going to sleep at night, because you don't know what's going to happen. And then you get into insomnia and it's, it's terrible. It's terrible yet. So, so easy to solve. So that's why I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually very recently, this was a very timely episode because I just had a client recently who was diagnosed with a hiatal hernia and the symptoms that she was presenting with were, um, you know, constantly feeling like she had to clear her throat. There was Mm -hmm. a lot of, of reflux symptoms. She was feeling really full and was actually under fueling because of it. And so that was further worsening her digestive issues. And one of the things that she said to me was, well, you know, when I stand up for some reason, I feel like I just feel better when I stand up when I eat. And I said, okay, so interesting. So then she had a scope done by her, her physician. And um, of course they found the hiatal hernia. Now I have a question for you. So the first one would be, what is, what are the main ways that you diagnose it? Because when I have clients, who present with these, I'm usually sending them for a scope. And then, so that would be the first question is how do you diagnose them? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of our patients have um, in this area, as my medical doctor used to say, or they're, they're, they're very well met, you know, very well medicined, you know, meaning they've already been to a lot of different uh, specialists and they've typically done the scope for, you know, yay or nay, gotten the, the data, but it's, it's definitely sim- symptomatic. Um, the diaphragmatic excursion is one, um, palpation is, is another, you know, in that area and feeling the discomfort. So, um, but the endoscopy is, is a good one, but it'll still miss so much, you know, because if it's sliding and you happen to not get it in that position. So yeah, it's really based a lot on, on symptomatology over and above the endoscopy. Mm, Okay. So that's why I think it's really important that somebody see the right practitioner when it comes to diagnosing this and, you know, some, some, something like your approach and your team looking at it from a very holistic perspective and um, absolutely would make a huge difference in accurately treating it then. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's some, you know, interesting structural associations because the nerve, it's called the phrenic nerve um, that goes to the diaphragm is actually a, 
it, it breaks off the vagus nerve, which, you know, is a huge nerve that goes to every organ. And um, so you can have people with the nerve that goes to, to the diaphragm comes from the base of the neck. So you can have patients with, with neck pain and chronic neck discomfort that have irritation to that nerve that's affecting the diaphragm. Also, the diaphragm is tethered by what's called the psoas muscle, which mm. goes down into from the, all the vertebrae of the lower back down into the hip. And, you know, people who, who sit all the time and who, who doesn't, you know, but um, don't, don't stretch. And that muscle can be very tight and that can affect the diaphragm. So, again, that's where we have found this sort of sweet spot with having the physical medicine and the functional mm. internal medicine working together because it's not the case for everyone, but for some, for many people, they do have this structural component that if you don't address, it's just going to keep happening. You know, it's just going to keep recurring, even though you're doing some good GI work. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's really a marriage of all that, that, that we have found. And that's what prompted writing the book. And it's very close to going to print. Um, But the more I did YouTube videos on it, you know, literally hearing from people all over the world suffering with this. And so it's, it's very pervasive. And unfortunately, as obesity um, is such a, a large problem and people's core strength is, is not very good, um, that can, can add to the lack of integrity of the area. And um, you don't have that nice healthy girdle around the midsection that's holding everything the way it should be. Although on the other spectrum, which that, this is less common, you have people who over-exercise. So um, male, female alike, you know, they're, they're lifting a lot of weight or they're just, you know, and they've uh, strained it and it's come up because because of um, over over exercising or really overburdening their system from a weight standpoint. So all ages, both sexes, it, it doesn't seem to uh, prefer <laughs> anyone over anybody else, you know, having, having a baby and, and things getting rearranged, you know, um, even being in a car accident and the airbag going off. I mean, there's, I've seen so many variations on the theme, but I think what you and I mostly do during the day, uh, you know, digestive health is, is a huge one. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about the the main causes of hiatal hernias. And, um, you know, some of the ones that I see with my patients are just their digestive systems are not running the way that they should be. They're chronically constipated and they might not even realize it because they're having a daily bowel movement, but they are still not completely evacuating. Um, They might be not absorbing nutrients properly. They might have food sensitivities, which are exacerbating inflammation in the gut. Um, What are some that you would add to that? Yeah, definitely the food uh, sensitivities. Also, uh, H. pylori and infection in the stomach is is another one that's creating irritation. Just overeating is is another one, just from a lifestyle type of thing. Um, and then you have poor liver bile uh, health, which tends to be subsequent to not good um, microbiome or not healthy bacteria in the gut and a poor diet, too many toxins in the diet. Um, also, you can have the small intestinal bowel overgrowth, SIBO, mm-hmm. which creates a lot of that pressure from these bacteria that should be down in the colon and they're, they're too high up. And, and again, that goes into the bile, which acts as a natural detergent. So 
you know, you, it's not just a stomach problem again, because as we know, stomach, liver, um, gallbladder, small intestine, colon, how are things moving? Who, what, what's the, you know, uh, breakdown of that microbiome, good bacteria, bad bacteria, um, even things like mold and heavy metal, you know, all the toxins that can be present. So it's really teasing out for that person, overgrowth of yeast, you know, what, what is their what is their phenomena? You know, mm-hmm. what's really causing uh, chronic constipation, as you said, is very common, not hard to fix at all, you know, when, when you get the right why, but it, it doesn't tend to be a single thing. And I find so many people, they just, um, especially like YouTube followers, you know, they can get frustrated. It's like, but you didn't tell me what to take. What do I take? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, I'm not holding back. If there was one thing for you to take, I would tell you, you know, but I don't know anything about you. So um, it's really important to customize uh, the programs to the individual. So you really fix it, you know, really, really once and for all fix it. And, And sometimes you have to, again, from the physical standpoint, that diaphragm has been riding high for so long, you know, you have to use physical therapy to get it down and, and relax just because it's gotten in a bad habit almost, you know, and whether it's a neck association or a low back association, that's, that's uh, caused that to occur. But these tend to be secondary to Mm -hmm. the gut, you know, and so you're right on with, what are you eating? Food sensitivities? Uh, are you making, you know, are you just nutrient deficient because of how you were raised? Or maybe you had a lot of antibiotics as a kid or a young adult and, and that set up the, the gut balance to, to not be so friendly in, in the types of organisms present. So uh, we have tools and we talked about it just before we started that we use to, to assess this. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's just critical. You can't, you can't guess at it. You know, you know, there's an imbalance, but what is it? That's where, you know, testing comes in. Yeah. So in my practice, I use the, um, the GI map, which is the stool analysis. And I know you mentioned you do a stool analysis as well. Yeah. We like that test too. Another nice one is a called a Nutra eval. So it's, um, it's blood and urine both, but uh, someone is actually off all supplements for close to two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so you're just really getting a baseline, but it's looking at, you know, fatty acids, minerals, vitamins, it's looking at, at everything. Uh, so that's kind of a nice baseline. And then we get into genetics as well, um, because sometimes, you know, patients just are compromised due to a genetic sniff, a little defect you get from mom and dad that doesn't allow you to process certain nutrients the way you should. And you, you need to augment sometimes with um, something that's already uh, in the active form, as an example, like vitamin D, you have to activate it. But what Mm -hmm. if you can't, and you're taking this vitamin D and your vitamin D level doesn't go up and you're wondering why. And and now they're seeing a strong association with D uh, keeping a healthy microbiome. So D it's like, we're in the, the mode of what doesn't D do these, these yeah. days and that makes more me, research comes out. Yeah. yeah. That makes me think of the MTHFR mutation, which is exactly very common. And, you know, most of the, the different types of vitamins out there, the, the forms of B12 and folate that they have in them are not in the active form. And some of these people That's are not right. the benefits. So I yeah. love that. I love that you mentioned that. I don't really think anybody has ever brought that up in the episode. So hopefully the listeners. Yeah 
um, can, can find some benefit from that. The genetics too, I, I actually wanted to ask you this and I thought about it this morning. Um, so is there a genetic component to hiatal hernias or would you say that there's a genetic component to the other factors that would maybe be a root cause of the hiatal hernias? The latter. Yeah, okay. I think it's the latter. I don't think it's, um, that you're set up genetically for it, but, but, but yeah, the, the underlying causes can definitely be genetic. I mean, I'm as a redhead and my mother was Scottish. We tend to be terrible methylators, you know, mm-hmm. and that didn't catch up to me until, you know, a few years ago, but you know, my, my ability to methylate is like something like 20%. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I, I have to take those right supports because just genetically, I don't do that very well, you know, and, and that will start catching up with you despite, you know, the great way I take care of myself, the genetics just started to impinge as, as age progressed, you know? Yeah. And for those who aren't familiar, who are listening, the importance of methylation is that it's going to help um, basically protect you from things like cancer. And so being able to properly methylate, um, is very important. So having that genetic test can be very useful for some patients. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we talked about symptoms. We talked about root causes. Um, now let's talk about treatment because I can tell you for sure that patients will come to me and often the first thing that they're handed is a proton pump inhibitor or an uh. acid reducing medication, which I personally had been on back in the day. I've done so many posts on this. I've done tons of research and the long-term consequences of these medications are just awful. And I don't want to scare anybody because I think so many people are on them. I have friends my age who are on them. I have family members, like I said, I was on one. And so I don't want anyone to, you know, be fearful when we talk about this, but I want them to be educated and be able to advocate for themselves. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, Zantac is now off the market, but gosh, I mean, how many decades was it the number one antacid used? And now they they find an uh, an additive in it is is uh, cancer causing, and I mean, not just one type of cancer, but like. I don't know, eight types of cancer, yeah. you know, just it, it, it was affecting pretty much every organ you could think of. So there's that, but then there's the fact that that aside, just, just, I mean, the basics that I always talk about, I'm sure you do the same is like your stomach is supposed to be a bag of acid, you know, like mother nature set it up that way for a very good reason, because if it doesn't do its thing with all that hydrochloric acid breaking down your food, then there's maldigestion, malabsorption all the way down the line. It, 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 it is predicated upon step one working so that then step two can work and on it goes. So as soon as you diminish that acid, you've set yourself up for not just malabsorption, maldigestion, but also the growth of inhospitable organisms. It's, it's all set up for a reason. Now, is it miserable to have heartburn and GERD? Yeah, it is. But then get to the root cause of why the poor stomach is, is you know, refluxing uh, its contents. Don't blame it for being, for doing its job is the way I usually talk to patients about it. And I'm sure you see the same thing as when you really get to the root cause. 
it's really easy for us to get patients off those medications. It's yes. very, very easy. And of course, a lot of times they go, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but all they've tried to do is wean themselves off with making no changes, you mm -hmm. know? So of course they fail because they haven't gotten to the root cause of what's creating it. But mm -hmm. as soon as we do, then it's pretty effortless. And as you mentioned, the PPIs and the, you know, the proton pump inhibitors, I mean, from kidney disease and, and bone oh, deterioration. Wow. Yeah, it just goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And again, it makes sense because it's supposed to be this acid environment to really break down the food so that absorption can occur. So, of course, things are going to go awry uh, when you're not allowing that to happen. And the companies themselves say, you know, it's not for long-term use. And then you, then you define, you look their definition of long-term use, which is more than a year. And you have patients who have been on these 15 years sometimes. And mm -hmm. it is, it's, it's absolutely frightening. So um, I've, I've really only had patients have their doctors say, we're just going to have to take you off this when it's been a decade plus when, when by, by definition, it shouldn't go beyond a year. So, right. yeah. yeah, it was in my dietetic internship that I remember being in the internship. I was working in a long-term care facility and I started, like, I knew that proton pump inhibitors were bad because I'd been, you know, deep in the functional medicine research. And I just remember starting to see some nurses pulling these patients off the PPIs and trying to consciously do it. And it was in that moment that I said, oh, wow, people are finally starting to catch on. And that was, yeah. I don't know, four years ago. That was not that long ago. And I think another thing, too, that you mentioned that's important is if someone's trying to come off of these, you have to be careful of the rebound effect. And you have to know how to do it properly and how to support your gut and your, you know, your gut lining and your esophagus with soothing herbs and things like that that can help you do that properly. And, and like yeah. you said, treating the actual root cause of it. Now, in terms of um, medication, so we kind of covered like the conventional side of things, but chiropractic um, treatment can also be a method. Is that correct? Yeah, for us, we, we kind of do a meld of chiropractic and physical therapy. Of course, the doctor of chiropractic is adjusting the vertebrae of the neck, the low back, uh, working with balancing the muscles, but so does the physical therapist do that. And then also, um, getting the diaphragm back in the right position. So that's um, a technique that's utilized. And, you know, patients say it's kind of like an intense massage, you know what I mean? It's, it's not massage because it's, it's more, you know, it's a little more therapeutic than that. It's more directed, I should say, because certainly massage is therapeutic. But, it, it, you know, knowing the anatomy and, and knowing how to sort of, sometimes it's breaking some, some spasms or adhesions and things like that that have caused this to be sort of stuck in that area. Mm -hmm. And you're not getting that free flow of, of the diaphragmatic movement. But again, you've got um, the integrity of the core muscles. Women who have had babies and have had what's called a diastasis recti, the, uh, where the, the muscles of the abdomen um, uh, don't, you know, knit back together as it were, like everything opens up <laughs> to allow us to have babies, which is phenomenal until it doesn't quite, you know, go back again when you're when you're done. And then they have this, um, 
kind of opening, which it's either surgical or PT can handle it depending on, on how, how many uh, finger breadth uh, the problem is, but that can just really weaken once again, the core and uh, the psoas muscle I was talking about that tethers the diaphragm at the back uh, is also just reliant upon a nice core uh, stabilization in the front. So all of that, yes, has to be looked at. And then, yeah. And then there's a chiropractic technique I think you're talking about where it's called a stomach kind of pull down, mm-hmm. you know, um, where you're getting up in the stomach uh, area just under the diaphragm and sort of breaking that spasm. And it can really give somebody relief. I've had people just start crying because it was the first deep breath they had been able to take in so long. But again, if you're not supporting it with everything else and then you haven't changed the diet or, you know, the gut infrastructure, then it's just going to keep going back up. And that's what I've heard from patients. It's like, I, yeah, I get the pull down. I feel fine for a day or two, but then it's right back up again. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, it's because that's not the root of it. That's just a secondary symptom. So we have to go deeper. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's, that was very well said and you're doing a great job (laughs) at explaining it. And so I guess I want to be respectful of your time. Last question would be, um, you know, I'm just thinking if I were a listener, so you're saying, so you do these lifestyle things, we address the the root cause of it. These are the different types of treatment. You have conventional, which is something we don't recommend in terms of, um, you know, the, the proton pump inhibitors, long-term consequences, surgical, that can also have long-term consequences and can be quite ineffective, at least from what I've seen. Um, yeah. So does a hiatal hernia ever go away or is it just management of symptoms and lifestyle creating a really robust system to kind of, you know, protect yourself against, you know, reoccurrence of these symptoms or is it something that you always have and what, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think to the degree of uh, the severity you're talking about, how long you've, you've had it, we definitely see resolution. So I, I definitely feel it, it can go away. Um, but but I also find this interesting phenomena with humans, which I'm sure you're very acquainted with, which is, gee, that was great. Now, let me just go back to all those things I was doing before that mm-hmm. created this problem and um, and make make believe it's not going to happen again. You know, so that that's the biggest thing, regardless of hiatal hernia, autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue, whatever is that. Um, the patient feels good and you've really got them going on a nice trajectory for a good long time. And then they like to tempt fate a little bit and, you know, cheat and this and that. And so it's hard in our society where, you know, bad food is considered a pleasure, you know, kind of thing. And it's, and it's not that you can't have certain indulgences, but I mean, like I'm gluten sensitive. It's not an indulgence. It's, it's like, it's a poison for me. You know, I'm very, very sensitive. So it, it's not something I'm ever, I'm ever tempted to do probably because I know so much about it, but with, with other patients, as soon as they feel good for a while, they can sort of undo everything. So you can undo it with, with, with the not uh, healthy behaviors, but uh, generally speaking, we have really good success in it remedying, you know, with, um, and then with good maintenance with yeah. the lifestyle changes. Yeah. I love that. And and I work yeah. with clients and I really preach, you know, sustainability. And I always say, if you can't see yourself doing the things that you're doing now, 
in five years from now and 10 years from now, then chances are we need to make some adjustments. So you mentioned the gluten for you, like that's, if that's causing true physical harm in your body, that's not something we have much leverage with. Whereas with right, a client yeah. who, you know, they want to drink alcohol every once in a while, we say, okay, well, let's set some boundaries on it and, you know, find a, a compromise there. So I think when you, you tell them, okay, you know, you can do some of these things that aren't causing true physical long-term harm, but you know, that, that creation of a lifestyle that, that you're going to stick to and not want to cheat on. I, I said that to my boyfriend last weekend. He says, my cheat day. I said, who are you cheating on? Like, what, what are you cheating on? You know, what is the, what is the point of that? So it's all about, I think, tapping into the emotional part of it as well is really important. The mental health. Why are we doing these habits? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, awesome. it's, that, it's that pleasure, the pleasure, you know, food should be pleasure. Um, but you know, like I, I was a chocolate addict and, and a sugar addict. And, you know, now we make, you know, desserts with dates and we, you know, we, we do things that are completely grain free or raw, or, you know, we have so many, I, I laugh at how many hundreds of recipes on the site and actually in the new book as well, you know, that are dessert, but, but it, dessert should be fun and, but it shouldn't be harmful. So mm-hmm. I think, as you said, if you're sort of seeing, well, what is it that you miss? And then replacing that with something that doesn't do harm, mm-hmm. then it's total win-win, which is what we want. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. so glad that you have such an amazing team that's doing all of this stuff. I, okay. I also came out with a, a, a dessert book, Rewire Your Sweet Tooth. and is Oh, all- congratulations. Thank you. But I would love for you to direct the listeners um, to find your book and your website and where they can find you if they want to learn more. Yeah, definitely. So the website is root cause medical clinics. So that's with an S.com. And um, we, we do telemedicine as well, which is nice that we can treat people from across uh, the country with, with the team. Um, uh, not the physical, of course, then we, we have to find someone local to, to assist with that. But from all the internal work, we can do that over uh, telemedicine and then in person in California and Florida those clinics, uh, soon to be Texas, but, uh, the best way is, yeah, just to go to the website and we offer free consultations, which is something that is, I know a bit unique, but it's a free either in-person or phone consultation. And, and it, you know, it's always with a clinician and just to make sure we're a good fit for each other. And it's something we've done for close to 30 years. And uh, I know that's a little unusual, but I think it's important to have somebody understand really what what we're offering and how it works, make sure we think they're a good fit for us and vice versa. And then you can embark on the adventure. (laughs) And then the book um, is going to be called the uh, Heidel Hernia Syndrome. So no, the hiatal hernia syndrome, and uh, it should be out very soon. But uh, at the moment, there's a free ebook on the site. So, uh, and that's, um, you know, that's probably about 15, 20 pages, and the book is 240. But, you know, it, it, it hits some basics. So that's available right. as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. What a wonderful resource. And no, I'm a full proponent of, of that process. The, the, I like to call it the speed dating process and yeah. the same. And <laughs> I say to my clients, like, you know, people will say to me, like, why are you doing these free discovery calls? They're taking up so much time. And I say, 
I don't want to take on a client that I can't help or that isn't ready to change. And if they don't feel that there's a good connection, then, you know, there's probably someone out there that is a good fit for them. So it's, yeah, no, I completely obviously agree. (laughs) I've heard other, other viewpoints on that, but yes, we, we are like-minded on that for sure. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Vicki, for coming on. This was incredibly informative. I even learned a bunch of different things about structural, (laughs) you know, the way that you practice is, is fantastic. So thank you again and look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, thank you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for what you do. Yeah, likewise. Bye. Okay, bye bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you are interested in working one-on-one with me to improve your gut health and get to the root cause of why you aren't reaching your health goals, you can go to nutritionrewired.com. You can also find my book, Rewire Your Gut Here. This is an excellent resource for anybody who's looking to improve their health, whether it's hormone balance, whether it's weight management, whether it's improved mood and energy, digestion, this is a great place to start. And if you liked today's episode, it would be such a great help if you could leave a comment, if you could share with a friend, all of those things will help me reach more people and get the word out there. So thanks so much for sharing the health.